episode 266 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to talk about our results from week 11 in the NFL, as well as some interesting stats and storylines. Joey, how'd you do? We in the green to, uh, this week here? Yeah, it was a it was a solid week. I mean, for cash games specifically, the lineup that I ran ended up being the cut line. So the lineup finished with ninety nine point nine eight points. Josh Allen, David Montgomery, Damian Pierce, C.D. Lamb, Stephon Diggs, Paris Campbell, Dalton Schultz, Dawson Knox, Steelers defense went with the coveted double tight end Ben. Mm, two weeks in a row. Yep. So that lineup ended up being the cash line, uh, and then in tournaments. Had some good calls. If you tune into the stream, which, you know, I advise everybody to tune into the stream. That's where we really talk about tournaments the most. Uh, We both had some good calls. You said to fade C.D. Lamb. That obviously worked out very well. And I said T. Higgins was the tournament winner this week, which ended up becoming true. So got a victory lap that T. Higgins was in 56% of the 1% lineups in the Millie Maker. He was in the Millie Maker winner. He was in pretty much all of the lineups in the top 10 in the Millie. Ended up finishing with 26.8 points at 7,100. So shout out to me for the T. Higgins call. Some uh, good calls by us and... Uh, the, the people got to be listening. Absolutely, they do. I mean, Saturday night, late night live stream, invaluable. Some of the best free DFS content out there. It was a tough week to put everything together, right? Like, you know, Samaji P. Ryan, Demarcus Robinson being some of the highest scoring players at their position. Like, it was very hard to nail calls like that, but it was such a low scoring week as a whole. Like you mentioned the Millie Maker winner. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a Millie Maker winner put up under 200 points like I I truly don't know if that's ever happened in the 10 year of us doing this podcast so you know that just goes to show incredibly low scoring week and if you were just on a couple of the right plays you probably cashed and that's kind of what happened with me this week you know I, I didn't have any great great lineups but I had a lot of Amari Cooper I had no CD and, and just simply off the fact of that you know I, I had a hundred percent commanders D so just a few calls were enough to have a profitable cash week in terms of tournaments and once again did not play cash Joey and I, I don't know why I just something told me not to play cash this week I think I would have had a 2v2 off the line that you just uh, referenced and it wouldn't have had CD lamb so probably a decent lineup potentially but didn't play it so wouldn't know and I don't know, man. I might just be retiring from the cash game streets and going full GPP. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think that's optimal. No, but no. you can. But but you get your cat, your quote unquote cash game exposure, like your safe exposure, you know, through prize picks or or through you know teasers on sports. I books. mean, no, no. Okay, this this is a conversation for a whole nother day. But I think you specifically definitely have more of an edge in cash games on DraftKings rather than betting teasers in, you know, player prop parlays. Probably Obviously. not wrong considering the recent prize picks record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, record or record or not, I mean, I think that goes for both of us that are we just have a bigger edge in cash games. We have a better understanding of what the field is doing and we're playing against other people, you know. We're not playing against the house. We're not playing against DraftKings. So if we're as long as we're better than our competition, we're gonna be long term winners and you know, we have a good sample size of us being winners when it comes to cash games, instead of, you know, trying to allocate that money to prize picks or, you know, betting parlays on 
DraftKings, like on the sports book, you know, you're just giving up a lot of expected value. Like teasers are cool or whatever because you're getting, you know, extra points to a side, but still long term, they're losing bets. Player prop parlays long term are losing bets unless you're, you know, betting very plus EV, but a majority of people aren't. So I think that in terms of edge, it's definitely in cash games. I think not playing is probably a mistake, but obviously this was an ugly week and it, sometimes it's just not fun to, to play cash on a week like this. So it definitely makes sense, but I mean, getting rid of it entirely is, is probably bad because, you know, long term, that's probably where you're going to win the most of your money on DraftKings. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I think we touched on this a little bit last week, and I don't know if there's anything to it, but it's literally just a gut feeling. And I do think that we as players and everybody as players have a really difficult time of looking at a lineup and determining whether or not it's going to be a good lineup, you know, from a process versus results standpoint. Like every single week, you should look at your cash lineup and think that you probably have the same level of edge against your opponents, right? But I don't know. I just had a feeling I didn't want to play cash this week. I've done that three times. So I've played eight out of 11 weeks this season and one in seven out of one of them or fuck i don't know why can't i say that i've played played an eight of out of 11 weeks and you've won seven of them correct yes that's that's what i'm trying to uh to (laughs) say there um which is obviously like a good record and better than my you know annual average and i don't know if that's just like i ran hot or if you know maybe the weeks that i was gonna play and didn't were actually good weeks to fade so i don't know this is just something to generally think about and i'll think about in my process and you know when i have the time go back and look and and sort of see if it was good process to fade those weeks or if i was giving up ev but nonetheless just try to be transparent in the way that i play and you know say that on the podcast that i haven't been playing cash the past two weeks doesn't mean i won't play this week i'll definitely play on thanksgiving you know annually one of our best slates as a podcast and as two individuals so yeah i don't know definitely going to be back in on thanksgiving so make sure you guys check out all the content going to be doing a ton of content on this Thanksgiving slate. Great slate. We can talk about the interesting stats and storylines from the week, starting off with the Dallas Cowboys who absolutely slaughtered the Vikings (laughs) this week. Vikings, I mean... There was some talk that they may or may not be frauds, and I think that that is only going to become louder after they get blown out 40-3 to versus Dallas, and Tony Pollard was a big reason why. He absolutely went completely new. Jerry Jones signed Zeke for $90 million a few seasons ago, and we knew that was bad, but Tony Pollard at this point is putting the Cowboys coaching staff in a position where they have to just accept that it is what it is, and he is clear-cut the RB1 going forward. 15 for 80 rushing, 6 for 109 and two receiving 39.9 points on DraftKings, highest scoring player of the week, outsnapped Zeke for, if I'm not mistaken, the first time in their careers when both backs were healthy. Pollard played 54% of snaps, Zeke only on 29%. Maybe you could say that was influenced by game script, but nonetheless, there is no way that you know, Mike McCarthy and and the Dallas Cowboys coaches are looking at Tony Pollard as anything other than their RB1 going forward, right? I mean, he's clear cut at least the the 1A in this backfield now, for sure. I think that you can't deny and they can't deny that Tony Pollard is the best running back in that backfield. Like, you can't deny it at this point, right? And 
I think moving forward, Pollard isn't going to be, you know, a voluminous like snap guy. Like I could see him probably playing around 55 to 65% of snaps, but he is going to get a ton of work. He's obviously going to be used in the passing game. He's just so explosive. He's very talented. This Cowboys offense is still one of the better offenses in the NFL with a ton of touchdown upside. Like the Cowboys offense was the best offense last season in terms of points per game. Now Zeke is probably just going to be in a 10 to 12 touch role, probably some touchdown goal line upside with Zeke there. But this is Tony Pollard's backfield moving forward. And I think this was just uh, the start of it. And obviously Zeke is still coming back from an injury and the blowout kind of definitely helps the Cowboys uh you know not play Zeke as much kind of give him the the day off let him get a little bit more healthy while he's still working back from his injury but I mean still moving forward this is Tony Pollard's backfield but that's also assuming that Jerry Jones doesn't stick his nose into the uh the scheming and the in the play calling and doesn't force the coach's hand to uh, play Zeke more yeah and and that's not an assumption that I, I could confidently make but man I, I just hope so because I mean Tony Pollard top 10 running back in the league at this point right I mean there there's a case for sure there's definitely a case a strong case I mean every time he comes in and gets a monster workload he goes nuke the only times he's not going nuke is when they they force Zeke ahead of him it's just I don't know man Pollard is that dude and I think we can draw a parallel to what's happening in Detroit right now where the clear-cut more talented back is is being shelved the same way that Pollard has been for years and I don't know what is going up with DeAndre Swift I've been in denial for a while just thinking that you know Swift is you know coming back off his injury and that's what's happening with the the playing time but we can't deny it at this point three full practices this week still only played 31 percent of snaps for the second week in a row gets out touched 17 to 8 by Jamal Williams Jamal Williams by the way punching in three goal line scores like clockwork and the only conclusion I think we can draw here is that this has nothing to do with injury and the Lions simply look at DeAndre Swift as legitimately just a backup and I don't understand why all right I'll tell you why okay now I'm not saying this is right or wrong but this is why Jamal Williams is the guy there's a few reasons so I know you're not on team watch the tape but watch the tape does matter okay DeAndre Swift is a talented player but there's a couple main critiques that the coaches definitely see. And I've seen people say that they said this on hard knocks as well. One, he's not physical enough, right? Jamal Williams, he's running into contact. Like he's putting his head down, trying to run over defenders, play that smash mouth football that Dan Campbell kind of likes, right? So he's not doing that. He's trying to avoid contact. And two, his vision is horrible. He has a couple good plays, but there's been a lot of film, especially like the all 22 film, of DeAndre Swift just missing easy holes. I don't know if you saw the video of him where he caught the screen pass. I think it was against the Dolphins. He catches a screen pass. All he has to do is run straight and he probably has a touchdown. But instead, he he decides to try and move laterally, which is just a recipe for disaster in the NFL, especially playing against world-class athletes. So instead of playing as a north-south runner and player, DeAndre Swift wants to be an east-west player, and that just doesn't work out in the NFL and the coaches see that and they see it a ton on the film and I've seen people say that this even goes back to last season 
ultimately, it's just him trying to do too much. And he leaves yards on the field by doing that and by not being physical enough. And that's the reason why Jamal Williams is the number one running back. It's not because, you know, he's hurt or because he's not talented. It's just, you know, he, there there's just some stuff that he has to work on. And the coaches understand and see that. And they'd rather have Jamal Williams out there. You know, whether we believe that's right or wrong, that's one thing. But the coaches obviously think that, you know, DeAndre Swift isn't as good as the fantasy community thinks and I also think that with certain players we get more biased to them whether that's because they can catch passes and we think that they're overly talented you know they're on a team that everybody loves to root for and I think DeAndre Swift is just one of those players maybe he's just not as good as everybody thought I, th- I think that's probably the real reason and the coaches see that, and they'd rather have Jamal Williams, you know, out there, especially at the goal line, which is a super valuable role, and he leads the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't disagree with anything you just said, and I guess that that all makes sense. I just wish that the Lions were more creative in the way that they got Swift the ball, because, I mean, Campbell originally comes from New Orleans, where Alvin Kamara, a a similar player, I think you could say, like, Kamara doesn't lean into contact either. Like, Kamara glides through contact. Like, he he doesn't take big hits. He's always been that way, and I, I just feel like if the coaching staff was more creative in getting Swift into open space, that there are ways that they could utilize his skill set, because he does have legitimate juice. He is electric with the ball in his hands, but I guess that some of those other factors factors that you mentioned are playing a major role here. And at this point, we just have to accept it that it is what it is. And our thoughts on it do not matter, you know, to be honest. So Swift, I mean, do you think that there's any scenario where he has a potential ceiling, you know, going forward? I mean, we could talk about this more when we get into the Thanksgiving slate, but does he have the upside to pop off on limited touches or is the role just so shaky and the goal line roles so cemented for Jamal Williams that we can't even play him on, you know, small slates, like a three game Thanksgiving slate? Yeah. I mean, I probably can't play him at all, to be honest. I think Jamal Williams is just the guy in this backfield, and it sucks to say because obviously we we do think that DeAndre Swift is talented, but obviously there's just something going on with him where the, the coaches don't think that he deserves to have touches, and I honestly just don't see his role changing moving forward I mean unfortunate to say but this looks like a team that they're they're gonna run their offense through you know Jamal Williams and have DeAndre Swift kind of be that that change of pace back well on the subject of disappointing running backs Clyde Edwards Hilaire suffered an ankle injury in the first quarter of last night's Chiefs game and that sort of you know, gave the way for Pacheco to fully step into a role that he's already been playing with as as the Chiefs lead back, but, you know, cemented his first career 100-yard rushing game. And I think that going forward, there will be games where Pacheco has potential upside, right? Especially in games where the Chiefs can blow teams out. They've got the Rams on the schedule coming up. They've got the Broncos twice. They've got Houston on the schedule. But ultimately, you know, Pacheco, even though he is starting to show flashes, and and I really do like watching him run. Like, he, he every time he touches the ball, looks like he is out there with something to prove. Like, he has to prove his spot on this team with every touch. And I do like watching him, but the team clearly views McKinnon as the pass down specialist and the guy who will be out there, you know, whenever they need a run running back, running routes whenever the Chiefs are in a close game, playing from behind, etc. So Pacheco emerging, Pacheco 20th round best ball shares, definitely looking really good. But in general, he does seem like a player whose, you know, upside will be capped just based on the fact that, you know, the Chiefs are so pass heavy and the way that they view Jarek McKinnon in this offense, regardless of Clyde Edward Hilaire's status going forward. 
Yeah, I mean Pacheco's upside is, is definitely limited, especially being on a on a team that doesn't want to run the ball that much. Obviously, he's probably a little talented of a player. This offense is just going to funnel through Travis Kelsey and the wide receivers and and Patrick Mahomes, and you would need him to score touchdowns. And we've talked about this a ton. What team does more fucking trickery than the Chiefs in the red zone and on the goal line? Yep. None. Okay. There's no other team that does more trickery and bullshit instead of just your standard halfback dive through the A gap. Yeah, they're that's not, not doing happening. That. They're gonna so, have Miko Hardman and and you know motion, rotate, throw it back, little pitch to Travis Kelsey, little shuffle pass. Like they are not gonna just let that happen. They just yes. won't. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about that with CEH and, and why his upside is a little bit lower. And I mean, I tweeted this yesterday, but but CEH went from a first round pick and a first round fantasy pick, you know, like the 104, according to you, a couple seasons ago, <laughs> to a third stringer in two years. Yeah, that's a tough scene. That's an absolute tough scene. You know, I wonder who was on the uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire isn't isn't good train on this pod, but I can't I can't lie. I got to take the L. I was on CEH in best ball. GGs. I literally cannot nail this backfield and i mean i will take it's not about nailing the backfield it's a it's about just understanding that unless the chiefs have a dominant elite level running back this offense is not a running back family fantasy friendly offense it's just not and people need to get that through their heads this is an offense as long as patrick mahomes is the quarterback and they have the skill players that they do on the outside good luck that is quite fair Still, Pacheco looking good nonetheless, and he is not the only rookie hitting the stride right now, right? It is that time of the year for these rookie players, and how many times this offseason did we talk about drafting rookie-wide receivers for this point of the season, for the back-end late-season push? Because this is their time of year where they traditionally begin to make big impacts on their team, and it's happening all over the league right now. Chris Olave, 5 for 102 and 1 this week. Wandale Robinson, first career 100-yard receiving game, 9 for 100. Traylon Burks, first career 100-yard receiving game, 7 for 111. Christian Watson, 4 for 48 and 2. He's scored 5 touchdowns over the last two weeks. Even George Pickens, 4 for 83 and 1. 18 points on DraftKings this week. Rookie wide receivers are impacting the league in a big way right now. Yeah, I mean, very, very good week for rookie wide receivers. I said Chris Olave and T. Higgins were my favorite tournament wide receivers this week. They both hit. Shout out to me. That was on the stream. But yeah, I mean... Obviously, unfortunate, Wandale tears his ACL in his best game of his career. So, no Wandale for the rest of the year. But Traylon Burks, I think, is going to become the alpha in Tennessee. And I think that he's just going to see a ton of targets. You know, when the Titans do pass, they gave Traylon Burks so many layup targets in that game against the Packers. So, if he continues to have that role, I mean, he's definitely going to be in play for fantasy moving forward. Chris Olave is obviously very, very good. I think Chris. Christian Watson and George Pickens are going to be like low floor, high ceiling players moving forward. And I mean, George Pickens could have had a monster day. He dropped an easy touchdown at the end of the game in his hands. Perfect pass right down the sideline. I think it was like 40 or 35 yards dropped clear cut. Could have had a monster, monster game. But yeah, that's my, that's kind of my thoughts on Watson and Pickens. Low floor guys, upside Really, really high, though. But, I mean, Christian Watson isn't, you know, scoring five touchdowns in, uh, what, eight catches again? So. Really? You don't think that's sustainable going forward? Uh, no. 
And this Packers offense is just horrible. Definitely. But I mean, I think that he's pretty clearly their wide receiver one at this point. Like they tried to have, you know, Dubs be that guy. But, it, you know, as soon as Watson came back, he, you know, did what Dubs was pretty unable to do at any point this year. So, I mean, I think that Rodgers will continue to feed him and look his way in the red zone. But agreed that, you know, between all of these guys, Watson and Pickens are, are much more boom and bust. But Burks and Olave, I mean, Olave has been the alpha all year and Burks is certainly in line to become that going forward last interesting storyline from this week you know we talked about it a lot on the Wednesday show it's been a discussion on Twitter all week you know accountability sort of bouncing off of the fantasy receipts controversy and Zach Wilson had a chance to take accountability in his post-game presser when asked you know if scoring three points on the Jets offense this week was letting the defense down and he just said no (laughs) <laughs> uh, not at all. <laughs> I mean, Zach Wilson is horrible. He's dog water. He is so bad. I mean, even coming out of college, he was not that good of a prospect. And we, we've said it before, and it gets said everywhere, but quarterbacks get overdrafted just because they're quarterbacks, right? There's a lot of positional value with the quarterback position, and teams are willing to reach on players that maybe aren't that talented. Teams are always searching for a long-term answer, and they want as many shots at you know the most valuable position as possible. So I can understand why the Jets drafted Zach Wilson, but he wasn't the best quarterback at all in the class, not even in the top five, in my opinion. You know, they passed over Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Mac Jones to take Zach Wilson, and he's just horrible, dude. Like, and on top of that, like, he, his teammates, I feel like, don't even respect him. Like, if we're just looking at it from a human perspective in the locker room, they probably do not like him at all. He seems just like an unlikable frat boy douchebag. Dude, like, come out, say, yeah, I played bad. That's on the offense. We got to play better. They had more punts than completions. Okay, they had 10 punts in this game. Nine completions from Zach Wilson. I I don't know. This Jets team is very talented, obviously held back by subpar quarterback play. He misses easy players. I don't know if you saw the video of him just overthrowing Braxton Berrios. Yeah, <laughs> when Berrios was just staring, standing there. Yeah, that's my take. Is Zach Wilson was overdrafted. He's not that good, and the Jets honestly should be looking to move on this season if they want to compete in long term. I think that you know he has a ton of potential, but he probably gets in his own way, and you know he thinks he's better than what he actually is, and that could breed contentment. You know, if he's not continuously trying to look back on himself and take accountability for what he's done how are you ever going to grow if you can't do that and you know simply put he can't slash will not do that no he doesn't seem to have the self-awareness to do so and and as you eloquently put on our wednesday show you know if you lack personal accountability and self-awareness god help you Injuries of note. We already talked uh, about Wandale out for the season. That is unfortunate. I think the other most concerning injury right now was Justin Fields, who injured his shoulder, his non-throwing shoulder. You could tell, though, that he was still struggling through maybe just the, the pain, I think. I'm, I'm not quite sure. He said it looked that it like was he was crying. Painful. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he was clearly in discomfort. Trust me, I would know. I was riding hard on Bears plus three, literally sweating every snap of that game. And we don't have an update on how significant this injury is I can't imagine it would hold him out of games like it seems like more of a pain tolerance sort of thing but ultimately this is something to keep an eye on because Justin Fields has been you know one of if not the best fantasy producers over this last month of the season 
yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll be fine moving forward. Obviously, his non-throwing shoulder, so shouldn't impact him too much in terms of the passing game. And he's obviously still one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, he's on pace to set the rushing record for a quarterback in NFL history. So I think moving forward, obviously something to monitor, but he should be good to go. Matthew Stafford. Don't think that he's going to be good to go. Sean McVay said, quote, there's a lot of things that we're working through that I would say are unprecedented as it relates to Matthew. I mean, I can decipher that for you. Uh, The Rams are done and we got news over the weekend. Cooper (laughs) Cup is not returning this season. Chalk it up, man. Rams are absolutely toasted. Yeah, I mean, not much else to say. Uh, You go from winning the Super Bowl to being one of the worst teams in the NFL. Maybe they just kind of uh, had some good variants last year, but obviously they were a very good team. Then they kind of returned the same exact team, and now they're horrible. I mean, that's just the NFL in a nutshell, though. Year-to-year predictability is non-existent. So That's just that's just life, man. You know, the, the, the Rams this season makes me think, you know, you just got to save your life when it's going well because you never know when shit's going to go sideways. <laughs> That's a good uh that's a good life philosophy for sure. Honestly. Shit comes at you fast, just look at the Rams. Last injury of note would be Kyle Pitts, who suffered a knee injury. We got a tweet from Ian Rappaport a few minutes ago. Kyle Pitts is believed to have suffered an MCL sprain on Sunday based on initial tests. He'll have an MRI to confirm the diagnosis. So unfortunate injury for Kyle Pitts. Doesn't look like he will have too many more chances to be overthrown by Marcus Martin this season yeah I mean uh lucky that he avoided a major injury he should miss a few weeks but obviously he hasn't been a fantasy relevant option the entire season which is disappointing to hear but you know at least he avoided a torn ACL you know a injury that could potentially affect him for next season so at at least he avoided that what a bust man I remember us being early like in the best ball season completely off Kyle Pitts and then at some point in the summer we kind of turned around and got kind of big on Kyle Pitts and I wish we had just stuck with our original call because all-time bust I mean one of the worst picks you could have made this offseason yeah absolutely absolutely I mean we we were right and then we went back on it you know we probably saw a bunch of touts bunch of tweets about Kyle Pitts and how he's gonna smash and how talented he is and whatnot but you know sometimes fantasy football is easy and we make it more difficult than it has to be and you know he's a good player on a bad team that uh has a bad quarterback and doesn't want to throw the ball so kind of predicted that coming into the season yep like we we just make this shit way harder than it is if you really think about it every year and we'll do the same thing again next year and you know we'll have debates about whether a player's a good pick or not but all it comes down to is like are they talented are they on a good team all right draft them they don't fit that criteria don't don't draft them yep you just gotta nail the good teams and overstack players stack the absolute shit out of teams like even more than we have in the past but we'll talk about this all summer long no need to get into it now and that is going to be it for episode 266 of the dfs dose podcast make sure you follow us on twitter at dose media net as well as our personal twitters i'm at ben hover joey's at joey carrying dfs if you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on within the network you can join our inner circle via the free discord chat link to do so is in the show notes to the podcast everybody listening out there we appreciate you we value you until next time let's stay accountable and keep it authentic